0: All right, if you have a Bible, would you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2? And if you uh, are using one of our Red Story Church Bibles, you'll see in the seat in front of you, 1 Peter chapter 2 is on page 588. 588. 588. We've been studying the book of First Peter this summer, and we've been drawing from it uh, Peter's command to remain faithful to the Lord and to remain engaged on mission with our neighbors. This is the calling that we have as Christians, both to remain faithful to the Lord and to remain on mission, engaging with the lives of our neighbors around us. And a couple weeks ago, we talked about how this is a call to live an everyday missionary mindset, to take up this calling to be missionaries wherever we live, wherever we work, whoever we're encountering. And um, beginning today and for the next couple weeks, Peter is going to unpack various scenarios in which that plays itself out. Uh, You know, what does it mean to engage and love and be missionaries to our neighbors as citizens of society, as workers in the workplace, as uh, husband and wife and kids in the household as the, the church of God. Um, and so he's going to break apart those different questions. What does it mean to love our neighbor and be on mission in these various components of life? So we're going to begin with his first one. Um, and he has has some things to say about what does it mean to be a good citizen in our community. So we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, beginning at verse 13. And if you want to follow along with my sermon, um, I'm slightly changing up the notes in the, the bulletin. Um, point one is actually just going to be submit. 0 Point two, honor, and point three, fear. Submit, honor and fear. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Submit, honor and fear. But would you follow along as I read First Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 17? Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's a lamp unto our feet. We pray as, um, as you speak to us through it, would you... Uh, Bring us to a deeper understanding of your love for us and the life that you've called us to. And above all, would you remind us of your gospel, that you have saved us through your Son. In his name we pray, amen. All right, submit, honor, and fear. Let's start with that first word, submit. Um our translation has it as um, be subject to, but it's the same word that elsewhere in the New Testament the translators say, submit. And that's a hard word. I think rightfully so, that's a tricky word for us to understand. Unfortunately, uh, the church in general and leaders and men in the church in particular have not had A great history or track record of using this word. Uh, I I think that we rightfully are cautious when we hear Scripture call us to submit because we have either been the victim of or heard of abuses of authority in which they force this kind of action. But Scripture does call us to submit, to be subject to every human institution, to, to put oneself under the authority of another person, um, to submit themselves to it. It's a hard word, but God calls us through his word to submit to one another and to submit to every human institution. Why? Why does God call us to put ourselves under these kinds of authorities? Well, he says, do this for the sake of the Lord. For the Lord's sake, Subject yourself in these ways. And we do this for the Lord's sake because we are called to live in a sacrificially loving way. As Christians who have received sacrificial love, we are called in response to that to give up our rights for the sake of others. We are called to sacrifice and love in that way. But we're also called to submit to one another, to submit to these authorities, because we also recognize that the image of God is in these people. And so we, we honor them and respect them and submit to them because we recognize that God has made this individual or this leader, this authority in his image. And so we submit to it because that's, in a way, honoring to God. We also subject ourselves to these kinds of authorities out of imitation to Christ. As Christians, not only are we the recipients of God's sacrificial love, but we also are called to be imitators of that as well. To look at our Savior who uh, gave up his place of authority on the throne and became a servant. He picked up his cross and walked to his death submitting himself to the rulers and authorities of that day. We are called to be imitators of Christ. Submit, subject yourself for the Lord's sake. We are to do this to every human institution, Peter says. Every human institution. This is a, it's a strange phrase. This is the only place in New Testament that this phrase uh, takes place. And it's hard to uh, to understand, but I think there's a key. In, in the original language, the, the phrase institution has, it shares the same kind of word with creation, um, like every human creation. And I, I think what Peter is getting at is uh, we are to submit ourselves to the institutions that are rooted in the created order of the world. He's going to go on and talking, talk about submitting to leaders in authority like government. He's going to talk about uh, submitting as slaves to your masters like in a workplace environment. And he's going to talk about wives submitting to husbands in the context of a family and marriage. And if you remember, back before the fall of sin, before uh, Adam and Eve gave in to their temptation... As God was creating the world in Genesis 1 and 2, we see these three institutions being created. God gives Adam and Eve dominion and authority to rule over the world, to exercise governance. We see that God placed Adam and Eve in the garden to work it and to produce in it. And we see between Adam and Eve, the first marriage and family. Peter is recognizing that these institutions which we're called to live under and to participate in, these are part of the very creation around us. These are God-designed and ordained institutions. We're called to submit ourselves to it. We're called to submit ourselves to these because they're good for us. They are for not only our flourishing, but for society's flourishing. And you know, when he talks about submitting to the, the emperor and the governors, he mentions that they uh, are to restrain evil and promote good. Like that's the job of our government, to restrain evil and to promote good. It is for society's flourishing that god has given us these institutions and so when we submit to them we do so because it's good not only for ourselves but for our neighbors as well when we submit ourselves to these institutions it is for flourishing it's beneficial uh this week i went to uh, a guardians game and actually i think a couple other people went to a guardians game this week too it's a great uh, season to go out to a baseball game and sit back and watch. And I, I know a little bit about baseball. I know enough to follow the gameplay. play. I, I know a little bit about strategy. I, I know the rules, uh, basically, to understand what's going on. Um, we were playing the, the Diamondbacks. Now, uh, consider for a moment, uh, Arizona rolled into town this week, and they decided that they were going to uh, resist the system. They weren't going to play by the rules. They're going to play their own kind of game. They weren't going to submit themselves to the institution of baseball. They were going to buck the system. Can you imagine what kind of gameplay you'd witness? It'd be chaotic. It might even be entertaining at first, but in the end, it'd be disappointing. And I'd feel like I, I, I bought a ticket to see a game, but I didn't see a game. I saw chaos. It's only when both teams submit themselves to the institution, the rule books, does something creative, entertaining, and flourishing take place. This is the benefit of rules and systems and regulations that these institutions are given for the sake of flourishing. Let's get out of the entertainment world and go into your workplace. Imagine, do you have a coworker, someone that you work with that regularly cuts corners? who fudges the numbers, who usurps authority, they're not fun to work with. Why? Because they're not participating in the institution. They're not submitting themselves to the agreed-upon rules. And it's not flourishing. Peter says we are to submit ourselves into every one of these institutions to obey the rules, to follow the regulations. Why? Because it's for our flourishing. Look, this isn't to say that there's no time to criticize or even to object or resist. We're, we're going to talk about that in a minute. But in general, God has given us these institutions in order for us to live in them, submit to them, and through them, flourish. So that's the first point. Peter says, if you want to engage missionally in the world around you, the first thing you have to realize, submit yourselves to the institutions that God has placed around you, because that will result in the flourishing of your neighbors. Second, he calls us to honor. He calls us to honor the emperor and to honor everyone. I'm going to start with the emperor, because that's the next step in Peter's argument, submit to every human institution, even the emperor, even Emperor Nero, who is killing Christians, submit even to him and to the the local governors that the emperor has sent, both the regional and the national leaders, submit to them. Submit to them, whether you think that they're good or bad. Submit to them whether they're enacting policies that you like or policies you don't like. Submit to them whether you voted for them or didn't vote for them. Submit to the emperor. Yes, criticize thoughtfully. Yes, resist when they command us to go against our faith. Like when John and Peter were arrested for preaching Christ in the temple and the authorities arrested them and said, stop preaching Christ. And they said, no, we do not obey man but God. But until these leaders command and force that we go against our faith, we are to submit to them and honor them. We are to honor them them. We're to respect them. That means the way that we talk about them should be honorable and respectful. The things that we type on Facebook about them should be honorable. The jokes that we make at their expense, are they honorable and respectful? The memes that we share with our friends and family, are they honorable and respectful? We are to honor our elected officials. We're to be good citizens. That means be informed voters. Be active participants in the institution that God has given us. To respect them is to to seek out the whole truth about what's going on and not just the half truths that we often hear about. Respect them enough to know what it is that they've done and what they've said, not what someone said they said. We're to pray for them. Pray for their health, pray for their families, pray for their policies. Pray for their leadership. Let me remind you, he's talking about Nero. We are to pray for even people like him. But this command to honor the emperor is really situated in a larger command, which is to honor everyone, to be respectful towards everyone around us. Peter says that if we honor everyone in in this way, if we live according to this design, then we will put to silence the false accusations which are made in ignorance by foolish people. Back in Peter's day, the ignorant and foolish people of the Roman Empire accused Christians of being cannibals because we ate the body of Christ and drank the blood of Christ. They falsely and ignorantly accused Christians of being incestuous because we married our brothers and sisters in Christ. Totally false and ignorant and foolish. But how did the Christians silence those accusations? By honoring and respecting their neighbors. Listen to this. Eusebius, a church historian wrote about the Christians living in Caesarea. And and at that time, there was famine and war and a plague in the third century that was just ravaging the community. I mean, people were leaving at home the weak and the sick to fend for themselves and hightailing it out of town to protect themselves. But Eusebius writes this, all day long, some of the Christians stayed They tended to the dying. They attended to their burials. Countless numbers of them with no one to care for them. Other Christians gathered together from all parts of the city, a multitude of those who were withered away from famine and distributed bread to them all. He would go on to say that it was the Christians' deeds that were on the lips of everyone else. Everyone glorified the God of the Christians Because of this, such actions convinced them that they alone were pious and truly reverent to the God. Just a few decades later, another emperor, Julian, would write this about the Christians. He would say, uh, uh, The Christians stepped up and showed true compassion and had devoted themselves to caring for the needs of the poor. He wrote this in a letter to pagan priests saying, act more like the Christians. It was out of respect and honor for everyone that the Christians were able to put to silence these false accusations that their neighbors hurled against them. They didn't mock their neighbors. They didn't look down on their neighbors. They didn't judge their neighbors. They responded with good works. They responded with respect and honor. Here's how we do this today. Two steps. Two simple steps, but it'll take a lifetime to master. The first is we need to see in our neighbors the image of God. We need to see in them the truth that although they do not believe what we believe, they were made by God in his image. And so they have dignity and value and worth that does not come from what they have achieved or what they have earned or whatever identity they claim. Their value comes from the fact that they have been made in the image of God. We need to work on seeing that in them. And then second, we have to acknowledge our shared need for mercy. That they, along with us, are in desperate need for mercy. That's how we honor everyone. We see in them the image of God, and we recognize our shared need for mercy. And then we act on it. We go forth in light of that truth. I heard a story a couple weeks ago of a pastor down in New Orleans, Ray Kannada. And Ray Kannada, he moved to New Orleans just after the, the hurricane swept and just ravished that town. And he moved in, planted a church, and was committed to loving and serving his neighbors. There's, there's a whole other actually story and documentary about him eating in all the local places. That's another story. But this story, he, he befriended, uh, I don't know if you know anything about the Mardi Gras parades there, but they're put on by these local clubs. These local associations build out parades. And so for the whole festival of Mardi Gras, each club does their own parade. And he befriended a particular club and got to know these, his neighbors and what became pretty respected in that group. But he realized that in this, in this group, uh, there were some mobsters. There were some dark and shady figures that were part of this group, this troop, and uh, he loved them and got to know them and uh, learned to honor them and respect them. One of the leaders of this mobster group in New Orleans, uh, his name was Frenchie, and uh, Frenchie, you don't want to mess with Frenchie, uh, but Frenchie died, and Frenchie's friends reached out to Pastor Ray, said, Ray, hey, would you come and lead the memorial service for Frenchie. Would you come and give a eulogy for this man? And he said, yeah. And he said he was terrified. He was fearful, like this might be the last time he could talk in public before he got whacked or something like that. Uh, but he went to this memorial service and led it, and he gave this eulogy for Frenchie. And this is what uh, Pastor Ray Kannada said. He said, friends, you all knew Frenchie. You knew him in all of his contradictions and all of his beauty and in all of his brokenness. Some of you knew him as generous. Others of you knew him with a bottle. Some even knew him with a nail gun. But the only one who really knew Frenchie perfectly was God. And God loved Frenchie deeply. We know this because God made Frenchie. God sent his son to live and die for Frenchie. God watched over and sustained Frenchie. That's why he was able to live as long as he did. God created everyone, everyone, everyone in his image with value and dignity. But we also know That Frenchie hurt people. He also blessed people, or else you all would not be here today. And in that way, he's like all of us. I am in no position to finally judge anyone else, and I know that no matter where you've been, what you've done, God is always there and eager to welcome us home if we trust in him. Some of Jesus' closest friends were degenerate criminals who hurt people, but he had a special affection towards them and delighted in giving them mercy when they knew that they needed it. I don't know the eternal fate of Frenchie. That's not my job. I do hope to see him in glory, but I do know that our eternal fate doesn't rest on being nice or following the rules or being respectable, but in trusting In Jesus Christ. After the eulogy, they invited Ray to lead the parade. Followed by mobsters and thugs, musicians, hookers, and the media down Bourbon Street. After the parade, one uh, of the guests of the memorial service came up to him and said, Father, you nailed it. Thank you. Thank you for honoring Frenchie. I don't know how that story ends. I don't know if any of these thugs came to know Jesus. But I do know that those in attendance that morning, they might have had false accusations about Christians, but after that demonstration of honor, those accusations were silenced. That here was a man proclaiming the mercy of God and the dignity of even broken, fallen people. We are to honor and respect everyone. This is our calling, to see in them the image of God and our shared need for mercy. I love this quote by uh, by Presbyterian minister Fred Rogers. Mr. Rogers said this, I believe that appreciation is one of the most holiest things that we can do. When we look for what is best in a person that we happen to be with at that moment, we are doing what God does all the time. So in loving and appreciating our neighbor, we are participating in something sacred. This is what God does with us. He sees in us value and dignity and worth, not because of what we've done or not done, but because we were made in his image and we need mercy. Peter calls us to honor everyone. Lastly, he calls us to fear God. Not to cower away in terror, not to be afraid of God, but to fear him to live in light of his awesome power and majesty. Yes, we're called to love our brothers. We're called to honor everyone, even the emperor. But we're called to fear God. How do we fear God? We see this in two different ways. Peter says that we are to live as free people. To live as a free person is to fear God. I think you could walk away from this passage and think that the point of what Peter is trying to say is live better lives. Live good lives. And we'd walk away with the burden of feeling like what God wants for me is to clean up my life and live better. But actually, What Peter wants from us is to live as free people, free in Christ. How are we free in Christ? We are free in Christ from trying to achieve, to earn, or work for a right standing with God based upon our performance. We are set free from that. We're set free from the, the pull towards making ourselves righteous by our own good deeds. Peter says, Live free. You are free in Christ, free from self righteousness. We're also free from the power of sin. He calls us to, to live in such a way in which we recognize that because of Jesus, Sin has no more power ultimately over us. So we're to flee from it. We're to fight it. We're to resist it. We're to live our lives pure and holy. Not because we have overcome, but because Christ has overcome that sin. We're to live free in Christ. Freedom from the power of sin, freedom from self-righteousness, and freedom from the guilt of sin. That when we come together, when we come into worship, when we're reminded of God's grace and mercy, we're also reminded of our sin. But Peter says, live in freedom from that. We are no longer uh, dealt with because of our sin. Christ has dealt with that. We are to live guilt-free. But then Peter goes on to say, hey, don't use this freedom that you have as like a get-out-of-jail-free card. Don't say to yourself, hey, it's all right if I give in here because I know I'm free in Christ. It's all right if I say that because I know I'm forgiven. It's okay if I give in here because I know that God loves me. He says, no, that's not freedom. That's slavery to sin. Live as people who are free, not giving yourself freedom to sin. Rather, he says, Use your freedom to love. Live as servants of God. To fear God is to live as free in Christ, but also as servants to God. I I think it's fascinating that this kind of freedom that we have in Christ is not uh, autonomy. It's not do whatever you want. It's actually freedom to find yourself under another master. True freedom in Christ is humble, obedient service to God. It's obedience to his will for our lives, his commands. But it's also freedom to serve and love. Unless we're serving and loving like this, I I think that we're not really fearing God the way that Peter calls us to. But we have this freedom to live like this. We have this freedom to serve like this because we see in Christ that he became a servant for us. He gave up his place of authority and dominion on the throne in heaven to become a servant so that through him we would have life. I'm reminded of Philippians 2, and I'll close with this. Paul reminds us that we are to um, do nothing out of selfish ambition, but choosing humility, we are to count others more significant than ourselves. Let each one of us look not only to our own interests, but to the interests of others. This is what Peter is calling us to do. and Here's the secret. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to so the glory of God the Father. Friends, we can fear God and honor everyone and submit to these human institutions because we know that our Savior gave it all up for us. He came into this world to serve us, to love us, to honor us, and respect us. He saw in us value and worth and dignity because we were made in his image. and He gave up everything to save us. When we see that, when we're transformed by that, we can live the way that Peter calls us to. Let's pray.